I think on the flip side of that is is the innovation piece, which is, you know, the payments industry and consumer expectations are moving so fast. But a lot of large merchants don't have the development resource, the ability, even the knowledge sometimes to be able to keep up with those trends, mm. try new payment methods, see what's going on in the market. And then, you know, above and beyond that, you can start to do some really cool things in terms of improving your authorization, um, reducing costs and giving customers the best user experience. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? If you enjoy these interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. So enough of the intro, let's get straight into today's episode. So this week we meet up with Tom Voden, Head of Partnerships at Bridge, a leading independent payments orchestration platform. The Edinburgh, Scotland-based firm has partnered with over 300 payment and technology solution providers to build a platform that gives merchants fast access to the latest innovations in the payment sector. We discuss the state of the increasingly busy payment orchestration landscape, and Tom shares his perspective on how orchestration can deliver value to merchants. So I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Tom Voden from Bridge. All right, so... Tom, welcome to the podcast. It's great to see you. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you, Martin. So you're calling in from Dublin, right? Yes. Yeah, very grey, but very warm Dublin today. So we're going to be talking a bit about orchestration today um, and uh, various topics that we would like to deep dive. But before we start, perhaps you can just give me a bit of a brief introduction to yourself um, and and, and uh, bridge the company. Sure thing. Yeah. So um my name is, is Tom Voden. I am the head of partnerships at Bridge. Um, as, as you mentioned there, we're an orchestration platform. I'll come on to Bridge a little bit more in a second, but um, really my background is in the in the payments industry. So I previously worked for Visa um, in Europe across a few different markets for quite a while. Um, through that experience, a lot of different sides of, of the payments ecosystem, issuing, innovation, um, through to the merchant side. And that's really where I came across orchestration as a really growing um, and at that point quite quietly growing sector of the fintech ecosystem um, that really piqued my interest alongside that working with some very large merchants who were asking a lot of questions about and very interested in orchestration um, so about 18 months ago decided to make that jump to to bridge um, you know a fairly small company at the time probably about 25 people we're about 60 60 people now um, a scottish based um, so edinburgh hq'd orchestration platform um, that's been around for a number of years now, really aiming to try and simplify payments for enterprise level merchants. Okay, so just a bit more on the background to the company. You said it's been around for a couple of years. Is it, is it a typical startup story? or? Yeah, so we're, we're largely born out of the kind of travel and transit industry. Um, so both our, our founder and our investor um, were part of Stagecoach Group, um, who are obviously a large transit operator, um, and our CEO now as well has also got a travel background. So I think through their experience managing the technology and ultimately the payment stack of uh, multiple transit and transport providers, they noticed this growing pain point, which was managing multiple payment providers, trying to build in some kind of intelligence and independence in and around that, and really struggling to do it themselves. So our, our founder, Brian, he, he stepped out of that um, role that he was working as CIO there um, and founded Bridge 
the company built the tech for for a number of years um, and we've really been in the commercial journey for probably 18 to 24 months now um really started to gain traction in the last six months i would say in terms of that customer acquisition piece okay so it's born out of a deep understanding uh, of the merchant from a merchant perspective and understanding of the merchant issues and problems that, that, that are faced exactly which i think is is the best way you know that a company can be founded is out of a pain point and then trying to create something really targeted at solving that pain point which you know we now know isn't specific to one merchant or one type of merchant it's really being faced across the industry actually okay i mean to get, let's just be specific i mean in terms of orchestration in general I mean, what is the the classic kind of pain point that it's looking to solve for? So I think in a, in it's, a nutshell, yeah, I think it's um it is one managing multiple payment providers. So obviously, you know, we would always advise that large enterprise level merchants or even merchants with with strong ambitions have more than one payment gateway, have more than one acquirer, because what that gives them is control, um, both in a you know a kind of um technical sense but also a commercial sense it builds in resilience um, and it also enables them to scale to new markets and those kind of things and i think on the flip side of that is is the innovation piece which is you know the payments industry and consumer expectations are moving so fast mm. but a lot of large merchants don't have the development resource the ability even the knowledge sometimes to be able to keep up with those trends mm. try new payment methods see what's going on in the market and in also you know when i'm talking about this i'm talking about it globally so you know, what might work in France is different than what might work in Germany is different than what might work in Brazil. So it's having um, that single point of connection into an mm. entire payments ecosystem, which helps you manage all of that. And then, you know, above and beyond that, you can start to do some really cool things in terms of improving your authorization, um, reducing cost, and giving customers the best user experience. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, look, I mean, I think um, I've covered orchestration quite a bit on these podcasts, to be, to be fair. And everything you've said is... Uh, is familiar. I mean, to what extent? I mean, it does appear. I mean, we've been tracking it now for a couple of years. I mean, you said you're right. I mean, it's sort of uh, kind of emerged as a as a global trend over the last. It feels like eighteen months, twenty four months. Um, and in that, always to some extent, it feels like we have a crowded marketplace. You know, first, first of all, would you agree with that statement? And how are the different players positioning themselves in in the space to achieve some level of differentiation? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I was at Money Twenty Twenty in Amsterdam last week, and you know, the amount of stands that I could have counted um, that said orchestration above them, you know, would have been off the chart. It's it's everywhere. It's it's the current buzzword, especially on the the merchant acquiring gateway side of, of payments. I think, you know, what the what I'm seeing is that a lot of different entities are defining orchestration as different things. And I don't think there's necessarily a right or, or wrong way about it. Um, you know, when Bridge thinks about orchestration, we think about it as that kind of pure tech play piece of middleware that's routing to gateway, commercially independent, not reselling any anybody else's gateway or product. But then if you look across the market, there's a lot of other players um, who might be building their orchestration there more as a gateway and routing on an acquirer level. Um, they might be more involved in the in the commercial side of things, e.g., you know, they're they're getting involved in the commercial negotiation between the merchant and the provider. Um, I think those are all differentiating factors. I think the other thing is is that orchestrators are only as strong as their integrations. So, you know, you can build a really great product and there's some really strong ones out there with some really great value adds. But really what you're doing is you're allowing aggregation and you're allowing routing off the back of that um, and bringing new payment methods, as I say. So therefore, when you start to look across merchant types, you know, if you look at um, someone like Cellpoint Digital, what they've done really well as an orchestrator is target into the travel 
uh, and airline especially side of things. So they, they're making sure they've got all the integrations in there and then they've built all the right tech around that to be able to enable travel merchants, specifically airlines, to um, get everything they want. And you, you're starting to see that a little bit across the market that people are starting to focus in on specific verticals. I think the so thing with that level of vertical integration is that right? Exactly, exactly. As I say, you're only as good as your integrations, but there's also only so many integrations you can do as an orchestrator. So you do have to make some choices about where you're going to kind of target. So tell me a bit about the, the choices that Bridges has made in, in, in that respect. Yeah, so I think currently we go after three verticals. So we go after um, all of an enterprise scale, I should say, because I think the key thing is is that merchants kind of need to, to want orchestration and they need to want orchestration because they're managing multiple payment methods and because they're really starting to focus in on how they better their payment offering. Um, I'd say that really kind of indexes highly in, in enterprise level merchants. Another part of that is they, they often have a global footprint. Um, so we focus in on... Um, travel but when we're talking about travel we're talking more about otas um we don't do a lot of kind of um high value low volume travel um we've just gone live with kenwood travel for example who are kind of a luxury travel merchant um and we were really bringing their their payment stack up to the modern day from the previous provider they had whilst whilst maintaining all of that traffic for that provider we're you know we're bringing that nice flashy front end we're giving them new innovative payment methods um, and we will be adding multiple providers in the background to build in resilience and all those things. The second one we focus on is retail. I think where we're seeing um, retail be a, be a strong category for us is less in your kind of advanced e-commerce retailers because they just don't need orchestration. A lot of them have built it themselves. It's more those traditional bricks and mortar, B2B, subscription-based businesses. Um, those kind of entities are where we're we're really seeing the interest in adding in secondary providers and then really starting to route that traffic, optimize those payments. The third one is gambling, which I think is a is a really interesting one because the gambling merchants have always had really advanced payment technology. They've got big payments teams. They're doing a lot of the routing and that kind of stuff. But this is where orchestration doesn't just, you know, it isn't just routing. It isn't just sending transactions to a certain provider. We're doing things for some of our gambling merchants, like providing independent network tokens. Um, so network tokenization from the payment schemes, from Visa, MasterCard, independently of their gateway, and then allowing them to route those transactions, those tokens downstream. So there's a lot of different places you can add value, even where merchants like gambling merchants have really advanced payment teams. So, okay, so you probably already answered partly my next question is, is you know, for what kind of business is orchestration most suited? Right, so you've already spoken to that point, but maybe we can just recap on that. Um, if I were a merchant thinking about orchestration, you know, and I and you know, what what stage in my journey am I at where, where I might consider orchestration? Perhaps you've hinted at companies that are dealing with their fast followers, or they're, they're catching up to some extent. Yeah, I think there is that there is that catching up piece definitely. Um, I think it's also just merchants who are starting to look at payments for the first time. Um, but right. don't you know? Part of what orchestration offers is is resource. It's resource looking at your data because you're giving them a holistic view of all the data. It's development resource. It's all of those things that that a lot of large merchants want, but they can't really hone in on their payments because it's never the number one priority. Using an orchestrator can make it the number one priority. Looking at things like you know um, the amount of checkout abandonment, the amount of um, declines in and around 3ds. Those are all things that I think a lot of, you know, especially in retail, for example, a lot of large merchants are now looking at because they're saying this is all lost business. So I think there is a point around like, you know, upgrading the payment stack totally. And I think we we do a lot of that for for specific, 
merchants who are using old school providers and have never really done anything to change that. But I think there's also this point of like, there's a lot going on that's causing customer frustration. And I think merchants are now starting to hone into that. That again is typically your larger merchants. Um, I think the one other thing I'd say is market expansion. So merchants who are starting to look at, okay, like how do I launch into LATAM, into Asia Pacific? I started to realize it's really complex from a payment standpoint, even moving to the US as a European merchant. Um, you know, it's new integrations, but it's also that expertise. It's expertise on local markets, local payment methods, all that kind of stuff, and, and a bit of that testing and learning. Um, being able to do that with an orchestrator makes it a whole lot easier and means that you can fail fast, mm. whereas that's really hard as a, as a traditional merchant to fail fast. Does your, do your clients typically have established pay, payment teams internally or, or, or quite the reverse? I think it differs by vertical. So I think some like some of the teams we work with are the finance teams, for example. Um, but again, like if you look at someone like a gambling merchant, they have really well-established payments teams who understand the minutiae of, of the detail. Um, so even in terms of how we work with merchants, some of them we're doing a lot of education. Some of them, you know, they're probably further ahead than us in terms of what they know, gambling being the perfect example of that. And what kind of value are you able to deliver perhaps, you know, over a, you know, what time frame? I mean, again, from a merchant point of view, what can I expect in terms of my business case? What would it look like? Yeah, so through kind of the the basics of orchestration, the routing, the resilience, um, what we're now doing in network token as well, you know, you can expect to see anywhere from kind of three, four to 10% um, approval uplift over time. I'd say it, it takes a bit of time because mm. it is a bit of a test and learn. So, you know, it's a bit of looking at the data, monitoring, seeing what volume can be shifted around. But as I say, doing something like enabling network token is usually a two to 4% uplift um, pretty much instantaneously, especially for those merchants who have a lot of cards on file. The other thing is, is the cost reduction. A part of that comes with, you know, us being able to help merchants find providers who have more competitive rates. Um, it's also about routing really intelligently. So if I have a really good deal for Amex cards with a certain provider, using an orchestrator, I can simply route those Amex cards to a certain provider. Um, also, I think, you know, we give, we we kind of turn it, turn it on its head from an enterprise level merchant perspective. So if I'm an enterprise level merchant and I've always been with one provider and I say to them, I'm thinking about moving because my rates are too high, that merchant is going to, you know, typically think, sorry, that uh, gateway and acquirer is going to typically think it's going to take them six to 12 months, even if they did want to try a different provider to do that new integration. With an orchestrator, you can do it super quick. So you can start to just shift your volume around based on commercial rates. We have to be careful with that because we work with a lot of gateways and acquirers. You know, we're fully independent and we never tell merchants to do that, but they can if they want. Yeah, there's that whole point around being agnostic, right? And um, uh, independent. Um, I mean, is that... Have, have you managed that with your providers um, on the platform that you presumably need to integrate with them and, and, and encourage them to partner with you on the one hand, yet remain independent and agnostic on the other side? Is that... Yeah, is and I, I think I think it's been really interesting for us. Mm -hmm. Back to my first point about like the, the provider landscape. Mm -hmm. You know, as I say, some of our competitors, um, and I don't think it's a bad model, it's just a different model, are, for example, reselling, a, a, you know, an ACI, a cyber source, a card stream, um, and they're getting more involved in that commercial side of things. Bridge, we've always, you know, from our founder um, and from our, our board and our leadership team has always been, we're going to be fully agnostic, independent on the on the commercial front. So, you know, we'll help merchants find the best provider for them, um, which is how we work with our partners. You know, it's, it's kind of an introductory um, partnership, e.g. we have a merchant who needs XYZ product capability, it needs certain markets. 
Um, what we'll then do is we will look across our kind of payment connectivity and our partners and say, who is the best place for them? Mm. We'll introduce them. And then we'll step back and we'll let that merchant have a conversation with probably two or three partners to work out for themselves, you know, who the best um, connection is for them. And ultimately, we're led by the merchant. I think it's interesting, the the partnership point, because when I joined, as I say, probably 18 months ago, we didn't really have any relationships with the connections we had on the platform. And what we've had to do over time is work out how to um, start to create those relationships in a way that reassures you know, the gateway acquirers and all the payment methods and fraud tools and those other things um, that we're not going to try and move business away from them. We, you know, we're not going to, we're actually going to be helping them keep merchants, um, which we've seen happen rather than solicit them away. Um, and on the flip side, you know, be able to create an ecosystem that adds value for the merchants. So I think that balance is quite hard to get, but I think we, so far we've, we've done well at it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so you allow the merchant to, have that discussion with the provider and and and, and have a commercial discussion, um, and then presumably once they made a decision, it's it's a pretty quick implementation. I mean, presumably it's one single integration into you. Exactly. We we give our merchants all access to a dashboard where they can go and they can have a holistic view of their payment data across mm -hmm. all payment types, all payment methods, markets, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and then what happens is is if they want a secondary provider, you know, they can either choose themselves and let us know, or we can help them source one. Um, once they've you know done the commercial side of things, that's usually the bit that takes a while is the negotiating rates you know directly between them. Um, but once they've got the account set up with the provider, it's literally a case of giving us the keys, um, the merchant keys, and we just stick them in and the merchant can go live in real time. They can then go in and start to play around with the rules so they can you know slide up volume to a certain provider in a certain market. Um, and as I say, then start to like test a little bit around it to see the performance, see the rates, all those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, maybe we can just talk a bit more about around that testing and learning and, and, and experimentation, which I, I find very interesting um, from a sort of payment innovation point of view. You know, um, I mean, you know, you're allowing merchants to really get involved and 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 be more innovative with their payment methods and their payment solution. Can you kind of expand on on that experimentation piece? Exactly what what's possible? Yeah. So as I say, I think you know, on the the kind of core card payment flow. Um, it is literally a case of we've done the implementation for the merchant. Therefore, they just need to switch it on and test it. Mm. Now, I think the nice thing is there is that they can test it. And if it goes well, they can start to put more volume through it. If it's not going how they expected, they can put less volume through it. And they can start to do things like send certain card types, certain markets. You know, they can send that volume to the provider. Um, and so what that enables them to do is literally test different types of transactions and then see the performance all in one place. And they can see that, you know, in a comparative way. So you know, one provider compared directly to the next, you could split that volume 50-50 and see what happens with both. That's really nice. And then, you know, if they don't like it, they can turn it off ultimately. I think that's the that's the cool thing about it. And it's been no tech uplift to them because it's all through our single integration. I think the other thing here is is new payment methods. Um, so, you know, we obviously have a marketplace of APMs, local payment methods. Um, we've just gone live um, with Visa installments as the, the first enabler in the UK, live with Visa installments, which is a new buy now, pay later product um, created by Visa. Like that kind of stuff we can we can turn on almost instantaneously for merchants. Um, and again, you know, if it doesn't go well for them, then they can turn it off yeah. because it's it's been literally no effort on their side and they can do that as I say, in a kind of fail fast kind of way. Maybe, again, some examples of that in the OTA space? Yeah, I think um, in travel, what's been big is firstly, literally giving them nice, shiny new front ends. I think a lot of um, 
much and actually have been on very old school, avoid name providers, but very old school front ends. And what that has enabled them to do is, is put in buttons for things like open banking. So we're seeing open banking come up loads in the OTA space because obviously mm. it it's changes the whole chargeback risk piece, but it's also much lower cost if you've got really high ticket item but low volume. Yeah. Um, so that's been great to, to you know be part of some merchants testing open banking and see how it goes because it's one of those things that everyone's talking about. But you know, if you're a merchant, do you really want to take the risk to do a whole new integration to an open bank provider and find that it doesn't really work for you? Um, so we can label that. I think the other thing is, is I mentioned token on the gambling side, but also on the subscription and kind of card on file merchant side. Network token is is coming. You know, it's being pushed by the schemes. It's being pushed by pretty much everyone in the ecosystem. Um, but there hasn't so far been very good ways to enable that as a merchant independently of your gateway so not mm. so that it's not going to tie you in. Um, network token obviously is much more secure. It reduces fraud. It gives you a big authorization uplift. And what we've done is we've built a, a way for merchants to, you know, independently of our orchestration layer as well, if they want, call bridge, get a network token back um, and send that, you know, down whichever route they want in terms of gateway. And it gives a real-time uplift of, you know, as I say, probably 2 to 4% typically. All right, let's um, just shift gear momentarily and talk about partnership, engagement, and management, um, your your role. Um, maybe just, you know, let's just explore some of the, some of the lessons or the, that you've, you've learned already in the last 18 months. You know, what, what, what has it been like? What, have, what Any surprises or, or lessons or, or tips you can, you can share? Yeah, so I think it's funny, being in a business like ours with partnerships, because you you're probably 50% merchant led. So as an independent player, you know, you're delivering connections and partnerships that the merchants are asking us to deliver. The other 50% of that is probably the the more interesting part uh, for this discussion, which is, you know, how do we get ahead of the curve? So I mentioned some things then that we've done, which are both actually partnership led, you know, the visa installments piece and the, the tokenization piece rely on partner product. Um, it's how are we getting ahead in the industry to differentiate ourselves in such a crowded market, you know, so that we've got that cutting edge tech, which as I say, is, is largely reliant on, um, on integrations we've got with partners. So I think the key thing is is one, you know, staying really close to the ground. Um, yeah, close to the ground. I mean, so, you know, going to something like Money 2020 last week is great because you you're speaking to all types of uh, of um partners. But then the key thing is is being able to then hone that down to say, okay, back to the very first thing we discussed, you know, in terms of different orchestrators going up to different market um verticals, what actually of all of these products that are being developed in the market. Do we need to prioritize to make sure that we've got something which is market leading and ahead of the curve and it's going to attract you know the mm -hmm. specific verticals we're going after and i think having that ability to be able to filter it out has been something we've learned because more and more we are getting approached from new payment types saying we want you to help us go to market because you're an enablement tool for us and mm -hmm. here's a really you know nice deal for us to do that but actually it might not be in our best interest and as a small fintech it's it's quite easy to kind of be attracted by all of those all of those approaches but i think we've learned that we really need to hone in on that to make sure that we are delivering exactly what our merchants need and again retaining that independence i think is the key bit we don't want to be kind of getting into bed with anybody who's gonna you know we're gonna have to give preferential treatment to or any of those mm. kind of things because that is going to really impact the other side of our business which is you know our core business which is delivering for merchants yeah absolutely there's always this trade-off between following your most important customers Right. And developing a growth strategy around around them and serving them. Whereas on the other hand, staying perhaps true to your your product roadmap and, and your view and vision of of 
what you want to deliver in the long term or medium term. I mean, is that a trade-off you've, you've had to confront? I think so. Um, I think we're feeling it even more at the moment. As I say, mm. we've we've kind of hit a point of real, you know, um, pressure is probably the wrong word, but we're, you know, we're certainly feeling the pressure from a customer delivery point of view, which is great because right. we've signed a load of customers and we've got to deliver for them. Um, there was probably some longer term strategic things we were working on. And now we're having to have that discussion of how do we fit that all in? And, you know, part of it is is growing the company, right? We're, we're bringing on more developers, which is great, but it's always going to be a continuing trade-off. And I think with orchestration, especially, it's very rarely kind of, um, you know, something where you don't have to do any bespoke work. I think with working with enterprise level merchants um, and probably less merchants, but bigger merchants is that you do have to do some bespoke work for them. So it's not mm. like a gateway where we can kind of say like, here's the tech, it's ready to go. There's always some tweaks that we're kind of having to be making. Um, and so we need to make sure that we're doing that in a way that, that works for our merchants, whilst also delivering that improved product, which I think is, you know, obviously equally as valuable. So yeah, yeah it's a real trade-off. That customization, right? You, you're saying the bespoke development to tailor and customize for a merchant, you're finding that's that's part and parcel of your solution. Is it? Is, a, is, is that yeah. is that something that you offer or your customers? You know, requesting. So, I mean, uh, I probably get kicked for saying that we that we offer it actively, but I think right. it's assumed, right? You know, right. we're working with merchants doing hundreds of millions, if not billions, of pounds of volume every year. Um, they're going to want some specific things that fit into their stack, which work in a way that you know only will work for them. Um, I think obviously it's amazing for us and we do have some customers who come on board and they haven't needed anything apart from an out-of-the-box solution. But I think what we've seen with some of our competitors and actually what I observed when I was looking after orchestration relationships at Visa was it's just really important to not over-promise um, mm. because if you go into some of these big deals that look really attractive, you know, I've seen it happen a number of times um, with others in the market. You go in and you like kind of promise the world um, and then actually the delivery of that can be really tricky. Now, I think the good thing about Bridge is that we've been, you know, a little bit quieter and behind the curve for, you know, at least um, the last few years before the, before the last 12 months. And so we've been able to observe a lot of that and now kind of pick those merchants where we think this is going to add real value. The work is achievable. Um, mm. But I think it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that we're getting to a point now where we've got a lot of bespoke work to do for merchants. And, and that's you- just part of the... Kind of role of the company. Yeah, I'm curious. Do you think some of those early movers have, ha- have had an advantage uh, in the orchestration space, or, or are you, as a, perhaps as a more of a fast follower, benefiting from learning from you know experience, what they've done, etc., what works, what 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 doesn't work? Yeah, I think both things are true. Actually, um, yeah. I think you know I, I I'm named Cellpoint, but you look at someone like them who've done really well in the travel space. Um, Spreedly have obviously done really well in in the US market and and with a number of other. Um, markets and merchant types as well. I think like the likes of them are, are far ahead of the curve mm. from a commercial standpoint. Um, now there's then like kind of a another tier who I would say have probably dived in a little bit too quickly. Um, and it's kind of come back to bite them a little bit in terms of that. You know, we've got a load of customers needing bespoke delivery. They're not always big enough customers to warrant it. Right. And I think what we've been able to do is say, okay, like this is our ICP. Um, you know, these are the customers you want to go after. Yes, there's going to be a small bespoke element to it, but that's something we're willing to swallow because it's worthwhile for a customer of this size. Yeah, ICP, it was at um, Ideal Customer Profile, right? For, yeah. for just the Yeah, I mean, again, I think we've had an advantage because we've been able to observe a little bit. And don't get me wrong, we've we've made some mistakes along the way, you know, um, going after customers who we've then realized quite late in the day, actually, this isn't going to work for us. And also, it's not the best thing for them because our expectations are misaligned. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's going to happen again. 
mm. I think what we have realized, and I, the the other element of this is also like you know um, being a fintech who gets you know if you're you get a large chunk of funding, you then need to prove yourself by delivering as many customers as possible. Um, now we have a bit of more of a kind of long term steady funding um, situation than some of our competitors, and what that enables is I think a little bit more of like caution towards that customer mm. piece. Yeah. Um, so we're not. We haven't been scrambling for new customers um, in the same way that some of our competitors have, um, and we've been able to look at the market and say, "Okay, we've seen this not learn, uh, not work." Sorry, and we've mm. learned from conversations as well, where yeah. we've had merchants come to us and say, "You know, I tried this with somebody else, and it didn't work because of X, Y, Z." And it's typically that you know, that again, they've sold me the world, but then when I've come to it, I haven't been prioritized, and it's not worked out like I wanted it to at the pace I wanted it to. Um, and again, like sometimes we look at that and we say, we can't do it either. What we have been able to do is some of them is say, we can do that. This is how it's actually going to look, you know, and, and then the merchant needs to make a decision on whether that's what they want or not. Because whilst we are used to doing bespoke work, sometimes we do also need to say to merchants, you know, we might not be able to do this in the way that you want it, but here's an alternative, which we think will work. We've done it with somebody else. What do you think? All right, Tom. Um, final topic for our conversation um, around the future market, right? So... What do you think is, um, how, do you, how do you see the orchestration markets sort of developing going forward over the next few years? So I think we're not going to see a slowdown in the, the use mm. of orchestration as a buzzword. I think that's only going to get more and more. What I hope is that both in the payments industry and on the merchant, you know, customer side, they're seeing the different buckets of orchestration develop. You know, I alluded to some earlier, but I think that's really important so that a merchant can go into the conversation and say, this is the kind of orchestration I want. Whereas right now, I think it's all a bit of a, a mishmash. I think the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of new players coming in uh, into the ecosystem, small orchestrators who are probably doing the same stuff that Bridge is doing. I think at some point there's got to be some consolidation. You know, I think I think there's real value for some of the old school gateway acquirers to look at orchestrators and say, this can help solve some of my problems. Do I want to buy them? You know, it's a, that build or buy piece. But I think we will see some of that as well because it's a very quick way to bring your your um, gateway and, and your tech up to speed without having to do all the development work. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I think the key thing is it's going to be huge growth in the space. Do you have any um, views on kind of regional, at a sort of global level, which regions are, where, where, where orchestration is getting more traction in, in, on a regional basis? Yeah, I think Europe, there's probably the most players. Right. It's an interesting one because I think in like the US, I named Spreedly, you know, they've yep. done really well there and they've done well there quite quietly and, and not too challenged by anybody else. Mm. Um, now, there are there are some players challenging them, uh, but I think, you know, that push to the US is definitely going to happen because the market is so big. I think in Europe, um, you know, the key thing is there's so many countries which have different um, payment methods, all those kind right. of things and orchestration can really help with that. So when I look at that, I start to think of, you know, like LATAM, for example, there's mm. so many local and regional payment methods, but it's a lot of those um, slightly more developing markets where that's really coming to the fore now, where there's big opportunity in terms of population and, and people willing to spend money and buy product. But actually getting in there from a payment uh, stack point of view is really hard. I think that's where merchants will really start to think about orchestrators to just simplify that for them. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Tom. It's been, been fascinating speaking to you. Um, maybe you can just you. Uh, let the audience know how best to contact you. Yeah, so you uh, feel free to go to our website. So it's it's bridge, that's B-R um, kind of dash D-G-E dot T-O. Um, there's a contact email address on there. Also, reach out to me on LinkedIn if you have any questions or want to chat further as well. All right. 
Perfect. Thanks again, Tom. See you next time. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple.